me stop before we get started and say welcome. I know we got a lot of people traveling, and I know all of you family members, you're watching online because you couldn't just get away from us, so welcome to you. If you're visiting with us for the first time today, whether you're in the room or online, um, I consider it a great honor to have you here with us, um, that you would spend time with us, and if you need anything, find somebody with one of the I'm Here to Help stickers, and they will get you to where you need to go or find out whatever information you need. Um, before we jump into our message this morning, um, I just felt like as as pastor, and as if you're home today, your pastor, um, and if you're not at home today, your home church, then just let me be your pastor for a minute um, and, and talk about some things that are going on in the world. Um, in case you didn't notice, you're under a rock. There's some pretty big things happening um, in our country and um, unfortunately, really dividing us further um, with the Supreme Court decision and uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, and I'm just going to stand here. I'm just, can I just be honest for a minute? Okay, I'll lie to you. <laughs> no, I just, because a lot of times as pastors, pastors feel like we have to have all the answers. Like to some crazy, crazy, crazy sensitive, hard topics involving real people, involving people that the, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love and that we're supposed to show grace to and that we're supposed to give what we've been given in that same love and grace. So I'm not going to stand here and pretend like I have all the answers. Um, I just want to give you real quick what the Bible says. Because when all else, when all else is laid out on the table, if we're honest with ourselves as Christians, that should be the standard, right? Now, does that mean we always understand? But it is, it is the standard. So I'm not going to pretend to be, have all the answers. I'm not even really going to address this politically. I'm just going to address it by what God says. Now, if you want to sit down later and talk, I'll be glad to sit down. If you have different views, that's fine. I'll sit down and we'll talk it out. But you just need to know, we need to know that my starting point is God's word. That if we can't start there, now, here's what you need to know as Christians. That's not everybody's starting point. Even Christians, some, they don't even go there because it's just, it's such a hard topic. It's such a sensitive topic. Um, so I just want to say this for me, and I'm just sharing this as, as pastor, but my own personal biblically-based beliefs, and that's this. I'm always going to land on the side of life. Now listen, I know there's circumstances that are unimaginable with, some, I mean, with, your, with people's daughters, mothers, ladies. I know I can't even, the protective father and husband in me just gets almost violently angry to think about what happens to some women. I can't answer those questions. I don't have that answer. I'm not going to pretend to. But I do know that the Bible says that, that I land on the side of life. Now, unfortunately, there are people who are, say are pro-lifers who say, who I think forget the rest of the Bible. Because the people that disagree with us Nothing changes from what the Bible says we're supposed to treat them. 
The Bible says, I'll just put it this way, church, I think it's time that we step up. I think we can't just sing pro-life, yeah, life, 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 but then give no answer. Because we have the answer. We have the answer. I've, I've said this all along in, in all of my ministry career. If the church did what it was supposed to be doing as church as a whole, then we wouldn't need welfare. We wouldn't need social programs because the Bible accounts for the church taking care of people. Amen. Now, there are going to be times coming that they're going to be people. We have now the opportunity to reach out to people, and in ca most cases, going to be females who are hurting, lost, rejected, feel alone. It's not just time we go, yeah, 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 right, right. We won, we won, woohoo! And we did, and we, it, it's, I considered a victory. But on the flip side of that same coin are people who are hurting, people who are lost, people who think they have no other way out, think there is no other decision. And honestly, probably in a lot of cases, they've been told things that aren't true about God, things that aren't true about life. So my stance is life, but I need you to hear me, people. My stance is also love and grace and mercy. And you, if you've heard me teach this before, and this wasn't even my lesson, I'm going to have to hurry for my lesson. Grace and truth are two sides of the same coin. You can't have grace without truth because it's meaningless, and you can't have truth without grace because it's just mean. Truth is we land on the side of life. Grace says, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I know a God who can help. Do you see the difference? Truth is just mean, and we can bash people over the head with it. But when you flip the coin over, grace says, I've been there. I've been hurt. I've been alone. I've been scared. I've been terrified of what's next. I've been abandoned. Because the Bible says not only in love you've been freely given, but in grace you've been freely given. Grace is, think, is what God gave us we didn't deserve. The mercy side of that is God withholding what we do. So if you're asking me as a, as a pastor, as a church, and a family, we're always going to land on the side of life. And here's the, I want to give you these scriptures real quick. You've probably heard this one a lot. People are posting this one a lot, and I don't think a lot of people even really know what they're posting. They're just repeating it. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 1. It says, I knew you before you were even formed. Before. Before you were born. And I love this line because the Bible says here, I set you apart. In other words, you were created on purpose, for a purpose, even if you were an accident. Some families, you know, some of you guys maybe now have, an, have another baby and it's the uh-oh. It's a married family, you want the baby, everything's fine, but it's the uh-oh. That uh-oh doesn't change the purpose. Neither does it of any other pregnancy that was unwanted, un, unplanned, whatever the situation may be. The Bible says God knew what was coming and they are created for a purpose, on purpose. Then there's this verse here, and I don't think a lot of us, you don't see this one posted. But if somebody asked me yesterday, well, how can you say, how can you believe that conception start, I mean, that life starts at conception? Let me show you this verse. This is in Leviticus, and it says, for the life of the flesh is in the, when conception happens, what's got to be flowing? That's the scripture that I point to people. That's how I know 
that the moment sperm meets egg, the Bible says that life happens. Can I explain it? No, I'm not going to try to. Will I discuss it? Certainly. But again, I know that we land on the side of life and we serve people with grace and mercy, the same thing we've been given. Amen? Amen. Why don't you, if you would, just with me one more time, why don't you stand? I just felt like we're going to pray for our country. This is bigger than one issue. God, I thank you for us as a believer's church. I can't speak for all the other churches, all the other pastors, but just us, Father. That God, today we pray for our country. God, we pray for those who are hurting, who are lost, who are confused, who, Father God, feel abandoned. And God, we ask you today to use us to reach our community, to serve the people in our community. Father God, even those who, who are violently almost opposed to what we believe, God, you stood in the gap for us, and God, we're going to stand in the gap for them. God, we thank you. You bring peace where there's division. God, you, you bring unity. God, where things seem to be falling apart. And we thank you for it now, Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Do you still love me? Yes. Good. I love you too. All right, let's jump into our message today. If you're joining us online, um, this is where we'll usually start. <laughs> We're in this message. That we've been trying to give you some, some practical stuff over the summer at, at Believers, and we wanted to give you some things you could do practically to live out the Christian life, the tools that God's given us. We've talked about the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, and the breastplate or the breast armor of righteousness. And I want to read this verse again to you. This is where we've been hanging our hat. This is, this is in Ephesians uh, 6.10. And it's, Paul says, hey, a final word. He's closing up. Be strong in the power of God. And in the next verse, verse 11, put on all the armor so you'll be able to stand against all the strategies of the devil. And then he begins to tell us what that means. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood. That man or woman or that person sitting beside you, although you think they're the enemy, they're really not. They act like the enemy, but the Bible says they're really not. We don't fight against that, but we fight against the unseen powers in the dark world and against, heavenly, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Long story short, the devil, he's, he's got help and he's coming after us. He wants to get us. Verse 13, therefore, remember why, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you always want to stop and see what? What it's there for. It's there for a reason. He's emphasizing something. Put on, the piece, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. In other words, you're standing upright. Then we're going to skip to verse 15. Here's the first one we're going to talk about today. And he says, for shoes, comma. Notice there's a pause there. In other words, you're going to need them. For some shoes, so some of you rednecks need to put on some shoes. Some of you all have little kids that run around. Anybody with a little kid that runs around with no shoes on, refuses to keep shoes on? Some of you adults refuse to keep shoes on? That's nasty. I hate feet. Put shoes on. <laughs> Uh, my sister-in-law, she's going to kill me this week. She came and had a splinter in her foot. I was the closest one. And she's like this, help me. And I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> anyway, welcome to my life. He says, for shoes, put on peace. One version the NIV says that your feet should be fitted with readiness, with preparation. Now, he, goes, he says, for these shoes, you need to know something. See, the Roman shoes 
that he would have been talking about. The armor, we talked about the helmet, the breastplate, we're talking about the sword. That's what Paul was familiar with. And Paul was talking about Roman shoes. But see, in our minds, when we think about that time period, we think about sandals. Like these were like Roman soldiers running around in Birkenstocks. But that's not what they were. They were really shoes, and most of them, will tell, historians will tell you, they actually were more like our modern-day steel baseball cleats. Because the Romans were, were all too aware of this fact. If you fell in battle, you were dead. If you ran out into battle and were fighting, and you slip and fall on your Birkenstocks, you're dead. So their shoes were very crucial to them. These were not flip-flops. These were not, they were not made to be standing still, and that's important. Because when the Romans were moving, they were moving. They didn't stand still and fight. They were very much um, moving forward. See, the peace of God is this thing that keeps us settled, keeps us upright, keeps us able to fight when all those things that we were reading a minute ago, that the devil's throwing at us. It's able to keep us moving forward. And people will tell me all the time, well, pastor, I have peace. I've got, I've got peace with God. And salvation, you do. That's, that's what they're trying to say. I got saved, so it's like you and your wife, or your, I'll take me and Melanie. If we have an argument and then we settle it, I would say, well, I made peace with Melanie. And whatever that looked like, an apology or just whatever that was, that's make peace. When you're saved, you... You, you have peace with God. But there is a big difference between the peace with God and having the peace of God. When the Bible says Jesus made that peace for us with God, but the Bible says about peace, we can have and possess and we should put on our feet to keep us sturdy, the peace of God. There are Christians that are going to heaven. This is not a salvation issue. It's not a saved, unsaved issue. You may be in this spot, but there are a lot of us in this room and online who are Christians who, have, um, who, have, who live a life full of fear. We're stressed out. We're angry. We're depressed. We're terrified of what comes tomorrow. We're confused. We're lost. And the Bible says that you're not living a life of God's peace. You see, like the belt of truth, peace is something that holds us together. It holds everything together together. If you actually look at some of the Roman armor, they were connected from their bush plate to their belt. They had, they had leg armor and they, leg armor attached to their shoes and it kept them, that, that supported the armor on the lower half. But you see, the problem is today, peace is seen as passive. Right? If you think of a Somebody, oh, that's a peaceful individual. We think of the, somebody who's so laid back and they're just peaceful. They're not violent. They would never hurt a fly. And that's what peace is in our, in our world today. Or it's seen, really, honestly, peace is seen as weak. Peace is, is taking, taking no action. See, that's not what God's peace is. You see, there's this, even like you think about the United Nations. And the United Nations, they send out to, 
to places of war. They send out the United Nations peace keepers. And the, the idea is that, and I question whether it works. Matter of fact, I don't think it does. They put these people who look like soldiers in places where there should be soldiers, but what do they do? Nothing. Put on the blue helmet, vest, hold a gun, stand there. But my presence is supposed to bring peace. See, it doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not if you're honest, it's not real. See, God's peace is powerful, not passive. The Bible teaches us that God's peace, when it shows up, has impact on lives, has results. It overcomes. What does the Bible say about peace? That God gives us the peace that passes what? All understanding. In other words, when this noodle doesn't figure it out, why do I feel peace? I don't know. It's because God's peace goes beyond what we can figure out. See, it's, peace is confused, or God's peace is confused with this word called um, with weakness. Well, peace, if you're just going to be peaceful, you're going to be weak. Well, if you, I've, I really believe if you really study who Jesus was, you'll realize there was nothing weak about him. And the word we get confused with is this word meekness. Meekness simply means reserve power. It's the, I got the ability to take you out, so you need to understand that, and if I need to act, I will. Jesus went into the temple when they were selling stuff, and he was not weak. The Bible says he was flipping over stuff and breaking stuff and making, and making things right. That was meekness. That was power under control. The Bible even tells us that the meek shall inherit the what? The earth. The meek that have power, not the weak with no power, the meek. The Bible actually says in Matthew 5, 9, that it said, God blesses those who work for peace, for they're going to be called, those are my boys, those are my girls. Those who were, notice it takes action. And just about every verse we'll read today as we talk about peace, you'll read something that is an action verb. It's doing something. Those who work for peace. Not those who stand there and hope it shows up. Because most of the time in your lives, in our own families, it takes some work, right? You walk in the house, your wife's husband's had a bad day, your family's had a bad day, and there's no peace in the house. Somebody's got to make a decision. We're going to fix this. We're going to take some steps to work for peace. And the Bible says that, that peace is our stability. You see, the problem is, really truthfully, passivity creates problems. Because it really is people who are unwilling to deal with issues. And I'm going to tell you, there's part of this that I struggle with. Because part of it, even talking about the Roe v. Wade thing today, it's not that I'm afraid of talking about it. I don't want anybody angry. I don't want, anybody, I don't want to upset anybody. But the pastoral side of me, that's something we can't be passive about. We have to be active and have to communicate. Passivity often creates problems and a lot of times in our, wor in our world, it makes it worse. Okay, great, Clint. Well, if I, if I don't have that peace, how can I increase that peace? How can I get the right shoes on? Because there are a lot of us who are running around in spiritual flip-flops. By that, I mean, we're not ready. You can't respond. You can't. Now, some of, some of you ladies, I don't know how you do it, but you can throw on these giant heels that 
point your toes straight down and you're standing up on these eight inch hills or these platforms that are that wide and you can run across the field guys we'd be done we'd just be laying there with broke ankles I don't know how y'all do it but for a lot of us spiritually we've got these flip-flops on that we just can't respond God says okay I need you to I need you to pivot left and we pivot and fall out of our shoe and remember the Romans knew if your shoes fell off or you slipped and fell you were dead And a lot of us are laying there helpless and hopeless because we just won't understand. We don't understand the the peace of God. See, there are people in your... Let me tell you how to recognize it. Is anybody... Can you think of somebody in your mind, you don't even have to raise your hand, who you know somebody who has been through some major low spots, major garbage going on in their lives, major attack in their families, major sickness, but yet they just seem happy and at peace and calm. More than likely, those, those are the people who understand the peace of God. Because if you're honest, that peace makes them stable enough where they're really more worried about other people's problems and they're letting God handle theirs. See, because the, the world was crazy around them, their feet are stable, protected, they're prepared. Ephesians, um, I didn't give you this verse, but you go back and look. Ephesians six fifteen says that they're fully prepared and they're growing in peace and grace. Look what Second Peter says. It says, may God give you more and more grace as you, let's say it again, more and more peace and grace as you grow. In what? In your knowledge. In your knowledge of who? God and His Son, Jesus. You want more peace? You want the, your shoes to be more solid? Grow. It's going to be a theme today. You're going to hear this a lot. Remember, peace, we think peace and we see passive, not active. But the, pow- the power that's in God's peace is very much active. It's moving. It takes effort. Growing is something, a, a word that is effort. It's maybe, they use the term for the, the habitat hum- for humanity when they go and build houses to, for people. And those people have to go work on other houses. They have to build what's called sweat equity. It's effort. They want to see effort into you helping somebody else so that when they help you, you've already put in your time. See, I think there's a lot of us that we just want it to show up when God's saying, listen, if you'll just grow and, and use these tools that I've given you and grow in the knowledge. Well, how do you do that? Simple. If you're not reading your Bible every day, get on your Version Bible app. It's on our website. It's on our Facebook. It's um, on the screen here every day. And start today. You don't have to catch up. Just do the New Testament in a year. Every day, just read something, a little bit, every time. And I promise you, you'll begin to see this peace. If you want more peace, grow. Let me show you one way, one way it happens. Because honestly, one of the things we really, if you're visiting here, you'll hear this a lot. It's always better together. It's better when we do things together, when we support each other. Real change happens, we teach people in, in our small groups, in our grow groups. Real change in life happens in those groups. Now, don't laugh at me, but I know I know I deliver some spectacular messages, like life-changing, impactful. You just can't consume it all. It's so good. I know that, and I appreciate your your gratefulness for it. But that doesn't make you better. It's hard. Thirty minutes once a week is not going to grow your peace. Spending time in His Word and then spending time with other people who are in His Word 
That'll grow your peace. You demonstrate it to each other. You share life with each other. Look what the Bible, Paul writes in a couple chapters early in Ephesians 4. He doesn't say, just think about it. I've talked with some people um, about, I was asking them questions about, when you get up in the morning and your family is right on that edge or something going on, you're, you're thinking, do I come to church? Do I not come to church? Because I was curious as to what, what tilts people one way or another. And I was talking to a friend and he said this. He goes, we're coming. We're, we're just going to make, and he doesn't even, wasn't necessarily referring to this Bible verse. We're going to make every effort to get there. Somebody's, we, somebody's going to have to be bleeding before we don't come. See, Paul says, listen, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, capital S, that's God. This is why you've heard me say several times through the summer and leading up to the summer, for those of you watching online, you'll maybe watching this later, don't disconnect during the summer. The summer's a big time where we, we oh, I got vacation, and we got to go here, and we got to go there, and all, none of those things are bad, but what we do is disconnect. And eventually, you're going to run out of juice. Eventually, the, the devil's going to sneak one in on you because you don't have your armor on, because you've pulled away from God. Your peace is, your, the peace that you count on is no longer really protecting your feet because you've disconnected. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Peace is what holds us together. That's one thing that concerns me about all that we see going on in our country is that the thing that held us together was this peace. And if you think about back in 2001 when, when 9-11 happened, this horrible attack from the outside on us. But America was solid. And for the next couple months, churches were packed. Why? Because they had everybody reconnected to the, to the body and reconnected, and that's where they found peace. Because the world around us, we didn't know stuff was going to fall out of the sky. Every time a plane flew over in New York City, they all ran. In D.C., they would hide when planes would fly over because they weren't connected with peace. See, the New King James Version says this too, and I, I think it's, it describes the next piece of armor, the second one I want to give you today. And the next piece of armor is this, in Ephesians six sixteen. It says, in addition to all these, he's talking about the other pieces, hold up the shield of faith. But he gives us, this one he gives us a reason. Why? It's because it's going to stop the stuff that's being thrown at you. Anybody ever done a dunk tank? I hate those things. If y'all ever get one, don't ask me. Because, I'm, because the whole point is that you get in and you ridicule the person and you, you try to get them mad and they do what? They throw stuff. And you've got really no defense. Like, it would be fair game to me if they put the, the little lever behind you. I was like, okay, you want to hit me and dunk me, you're going to have to get the ball through me and give me a shot. But when it's over there and I'm in a cage and I can't defend myself, that to me just doesn't seem fair. Or better yet, give me something to throw back. You want to throw balls, I'm going to throw them back at you, right? The Bible says, hey, to hold this shield because there's stuff going to be thrown at us. The devil's going to throw. The Bible calls them fiery darts. But you see, in the, in the New King James Version, it, it translates it, I think, better. It actually says, put out front. Lead with it. Now, let me ask you a question. 
if I tell you to lead with something, lead with your right arm, lead with your right hand, what does that signify? Direction and what? That you're moving. I don't need you to lead. If I wanted you to just stand there, I would say stand there and hold your arm up. But when he said, Paul says, hey, let it lead us. And he was talking about the Roman, the Roman shield. Again, these weren't just little, you know, we see on some of the, the cartoons and pictures, it's a little bitty circle and they hold it. You know, and they're trying to, you know, you see them like knocking stuff down with this little piece of wood. The Romans built these shields that were layers of wood and fabric and leather. I, I was reading one historian said they actually invented the bulletproof vest before the bullet because there were layers of stuff that would stop all different sizes of, of arrows and spears. And the Romans had these longbow people that would shoot these giant arrows and they get shot back at them. So they had to have something to stop it. The next thing, and this is what I you may not have thought about this, and, and, we'll, and we'll close out with this thought today. You have the shoes of peace, the Bible says, that keep you steady, keep you on your feet, keep you moving forward. But the Romans didn't just hold a shield one man at a time. They had a formation, and they would call out the formation, and all of a sudden, the whole Roman, the, the, however many there were, sometimes there were thousands of them, they would all take those shields and throw them up like this. And what they would create was essentially a giant turtle shell. And it protected all of them. And then they would give the command to move. Well, you're shooting arrows at me from way over there, and I need to get to you. What do they do? They just throw up the shield. And they all just start walking. Now, what's happening? There's stuff being thrown at them. They were launching stuff at them. They're trying to take them out, but they had their shields up. The Bible calls this our shield of faith. Hold up that shield of faith. You see, the truth of our faith is that you're better together. And the Romans walked this out. And this is what I think Paul was talking about. Because it's one, the Bible tells us in many different places. One verse says this. One verse says that no man is a what? Is an island. Why? Because if you just got to hold your shield up on your own, you're, you're still vulnerable. The Bible, I think, says when we all begin, no, we're going to do this together. We're going to rally around those. The Bible tells us another place to uphold those or undergird those who are what? Whose faith is weak. That we surround them and we throw up our shields and say, no, it's okay. We're going to do this with you. But the Bible is, is very specific about this shield. And actually, if you look at this word, the Greek word, and again, if you're visiting with us, this is going to make me sound a whole lot smarter than I am. I married a woman who knows Greek and Hebrew because I, I struggled with English. But the Greek word in, in Ephesians for shield literally means a door. Because the Roman shields were as big as what? Doors. So when they all threw them up. Now, let me just say this just for you guys, the, the men in the room. Think about the, the muscle this took. Go, I want you to try this today. Ladies, I apologize ahead of time. Go home, take the pins out of your front door, and stand out in the yard for 10 minutes with that door above your head and see how long you last. Then see what would happen if there were 10 or 12 of us out there and we all were working together at this thing. 
See, so you can't do it. The Greek word there is the door, and Paul's comparison is telling us, hey, guard your hearts. Throw up this shield of faith together because you need to guard the, your heart. I gave you the breastplate to guard your vital organs, but the Bible tells us that the heart is very important. Let me ask you this. We'll go back to the front door. If you go home today, and, and y'all don't know this, but I picked somebody's house. And I have sent one of our ushers that they're right now taking the front door off your house. Who could it be? I don't know. Now, if y'all get home and your door's gone, it wasn't me. But if I go to your home and take the front door off of it, what are you now? You're open. Your, phone, your front door is, is wide open. All your stuff, everything, you're, you're open for attack. Now, can you be attacked if nobody, if no one ever steps foot in your door? Can you still be attacked? Oh yeah. We can make you, we can make life miserable for you. Take that big catfish you caught yesterday, throw that bad boy under the couch. Two or three days from now, you'll know you've been attacked. And I never entered your house. See, the devil does the same thing to us. That's why the Bible tells us, hey, you need to keep that. Keep your heart protected. You don't need to be wide open, easy to take from, easy to take advantage of. This is why the devil attacks your faith, because it causes you to doubt yourself, doubt God. Weak faith is like taking the door off. Because when you understand this, I'll tell it to you this way, faith is the door of your heart. Faith is, the, is I, God, I don't understand all this stuff that God's feeding me, and I have faith but my, I'm, I'm trying to understand it, but faith keeps me protected. The Bible says we throw up that shield. And there are going to be times where it's just going to be you, God, and the devil. And you're going to have to throw that shield up and trust him. God, I can understand this. I can't explain it. This is us with our daughter, Emma. There are times when we just throw the shield up and go, God, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I'm aggravated. I'm tired. I don't know how to handle this but I'm just holding it up. And there are times, more often than not, that Melanie has to hold my shield. But there are other times when I have to go to her, okay, listen, I'll help you. I don't understand this. I don't know why it hadn't happened yet, but my faith and healing hasn't changed. But I'm keeping, my, I'm keeping my shield up. You see, faith is the door to your heart. Look what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4. It says, guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it's the thing that determines the course of your life. If you remember, we talked in the, uh, the second week that if you're, when you hear heart in the Bible, a lot of times they're talking about this intersection of who you are, when you, of your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. There's things that if they get out of the whack, they will lead you down some crazy paths. But the Bible says you protect your heart and guard your heart, the things you let in it. You keep that shield up because it determines the course of your life. Look at the Bible says in the New Testament, this is in Jude. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your what? In your faith. See, there are going to be times where we have to come alongside each other and go, hey, they're struggling now, let's rally. That's another reason we teach grow groups. We want you to be in a small group so that when something happens, there's a group of people, people that already knows. You've probably heard me tell this story before, but I, I, I went to the hospital. We had somebody in the hospital, and I got the call on a ran over to the hospital and I walk in and when I walk in 
this person had a room full of people and their whole grow group was already there. And they look at me like, well, why are you here? Like, we got this. We don't need you. And I was a little hurt. And then I backed up, backed up. I thought, well, no, that's what it means to build each other up in their faith. Bring food, run home and take care of the dogs, take care of whatever's needed because this person was in the hospital. That's throwing the shield up. That's giving the command and all the people in the grow group all throw up their shield and we're going we're gonna to stand over this person and protect them. Maybe they didn't have peace. Maybe they slipped and fell down and maybe they need to be guarded. Well, I want to know if I slip and fall and there's arrows raining down on me that the church, my group, my family, my people are doing what? They're rallying and throwing up the shield. And I don't think we think about the shield of faith as a together thing. We think about it as a me thing. You do have to have faith of your own, but the Bible says that we're supposed to be building each other up. So then you ask this question, how does the Bible say faith comes? And this, honestly, I think a lot of pastors overcomplicate this. They go too deep in, you can, you can get deep in the theology and deep in the weeds, but I think this is simple. And I think it's as simple as what the Bible tells us. In Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing. And then he points out, that is, let me tell you what you got to hear. Hearing the good news about who? About Jesus. That's how faith comes. I was asked not too long ago, how do I build my faith? I'm new at this. Well, let me give you another easy thing to do. Phone, version. On your version, pick a place in the Bible and it says, read it to me. Push it and listen to it. You're what? You're listening, you're hearing, right? And if the Bible's true and we believe it is, it says, if I'm hearing the word of God and it's telling me about Jesus, then what's going to be growing in me? My faith. Because it's true for peace and it's true for faith. If you want more faith, grow. If you want more faith, you have to grow. Look at faith this way. I gave you this slide there. Faith is the fruit of God's truth planted in our hearts. I truly believe once you let Jesus be planted in your heart. Once you invite him in, that the fruit of that, the fruit of taking more, the fruit of reading your Bible is more peace, more faith, stronger faith. It grows. Ushers, you guys can go ahead and do your thing. See, he even gives us this way of protecting it in our hearts. Look what the Bible says here in Colossians chapter 2. This is Paul writing again. Instead of writing to the church in Ephesus, he's writing to the church at, at Coloss. And it says, Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, that's not enough. Now, I'm not talking, don't misquote me. Jesus is all you need for salvation. But Paul says that's just starting, your starting point. You must continue to follow him. If you find yourself in a place, say, Clint, I just struggle and I, my faith is, is weak. I don't have that peace. I used to have it and I don't have it. Then my first question to people is, well, have you disconnected? Have you disconnected yourself from the source of that peace? Have you disconnected yourself from the body of Christ that can lift you up and help you? 
because you need to keep moving. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, now, once you do that, keep going. Let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. Not the greatest, latest book. Not Oprah Winfrey's Three Steps to Spiritual Success. Not the greatest book of the Christian. You know, it might be some great pastor you trust. But it says, build it on him. If you want peace, grow. If you want faith, grow. And then he says, then. Once you do this, then something's going to happen. Then your faith will grow strong. In truth, just like you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Because here's the issue we need to settle. We're going to pray and then go enjoy our afternoon. Because you're harvesting one of two things. Because we're all harvesting. Just like I said before, we're all going one direction or another. It's just you deciding which way you're going. Even an atheist thinks they're going nowhere. I'm sorry, you're not going nowhere. It's one or the other. We're all going somewhere. So you're either harvesting in your life the fruit of God. I think a lot of us are going to be surprised to find out that the issues we're facing are not God's fault, but we're harvesting our own weeds. Because we're all planting something. And when you plant the things of the flesh, when you plant fear, it's not rocket science. Guess what grows? Fear. When you plant despair, guess what grows? More despair. But when you say, God, I'm going to start planting your fruit, your word, and then the peace begins to come over and take over. And I think some of you are there this morning. You need to decide to plant and grow. This whole thing we're doing this summer is to give you tools so you can grow. And I believe that's what we're going to do today. That was my prayer today. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, and we'll close with this. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. Then he adds this, but I also want to be encouraged by you. You have a part to play. You have somebody to encourage that's my prayer today. God, that we're better together. We're stronger together. Why don't you stand with me and bow your heads and then you close your eyes and we'll... God, I thank you for those people, even including me. God, I ask for encouragement. God, let my words today be encouraging to those listening. Encourage me in my faith. Encourage people in their faith. God, that the peace that passes understanding, even when life seems to be so confusing. God, your peace shores us up, gives us grip, gives, lets us stand in some crazy times. And God, for those who are in the room today, say, Clint, I've never, I didn't let Jesus in. I haven't planted that seed of faith that my sins paid for. God, for those people this morning, let it grow in them that you're knocking on the door of their hearts. If that's you this morning, the Bible simply says this, that you have to believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, that Jesus came and died for you, paid for your sin, paid for the mess that we couldn't pay for, and he rose again. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to write a five-page paper on it. The Bible just says, I just have to believe it, that what you say is true. 
If that's you this morning, then you can simply say, God, I, I receive you. I receive your son, Jesus. And I ask you for peace. I ask you for increasing measures of faith so that I can walk out the life that you have for me. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that this morning and there's a card in front of you, you can shoot the QR code on there. We just want to send you something that says, hey, do this next. Here's what you, here's the next steps. For the rest of you, God, I thank you. Again, that you encourage us in, with peace. You lift us up and encourage us in faith. And God, as we leave today, God, we're going to walk out. It's like we started the service. God, we're going to land on life and the life you've given us, the life you create. And God, we're going to show people grace and mercy, God, and show them the truth of who you are. And God, we thank you for it now. Thank you for life now. Thank you, Father God, that you bring us and give us that life. And I thank you for it now, Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody said,